I've selected a text for today's message, um, a little out of the ordinary. We're going to take a, a little pause break on our series in the Ten Commandments. Because of today's special day, we are ordaining two lay elders for service. And that's our way of saying we are publicly setting them apart for the office of elder. And so today's text is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, so if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter 5. My prayer is that by the end of today's message, you will see the outline of the message in this text. That that everything I say will be supported from Scripture. And that the exhortations I have for these um, brothers who are going to be taking the office of elder and the exhortations I have for us as a congregation will just be plain from Scripture. That's my prayer. So I invite for you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over the to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing in honor of it. You may be seated. The Bible gives clear qualifications for what it means to be a pastor, elder, overseer of a local church. I don't want to assume anything today. I just want to explain then briefly That in the Bible, those terms are used interchangeably. Elders, pastors, overseers. All three terms to describe one office in the local church. So today, when we ordain elders, we are ordaining pastors. We are ordaining overseers. They are all wrapped up in one office. Uh, To support this, uh, think with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, if you want to look along, you can. But briefly, I'm just going to summarize that, that text. Paul writes to Timothy, and he uses the term overseer. Uh, qualifications for an overseer. What must an overseer be to serve in this ministry? He then gives qualifications for the other office of deacon in that same chapter. Of course, character, husband of one wife, above reproach, many things come to mind. But he uses the term Overseer, which is from the Greek word episkopos. Okay, so this is an overseer office. But then in Titus chapter 1, you see essentially the same qualifications being uh, laid out for the service in the office of elder. 
That word elder is from the Greek term presbyteros. And I want us to look at Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and see how, as Paul begins to declare the qualification of elders, he then kind of switches gears and uses the term overseer in the same text. uh, Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife, hear the similarities to uh, Timothy 3. Children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Then he says, for an overseer. Okay, well, we were talking about elders, no? We're talking about elder overseers. You see the interchangeability. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And he continues on to list character qualities of an elder overseer. So I believe that those two texts kind of demonstrate the interchangeability of those two terms— elder and overseer. What about pastor? Where does that term come into play? The English word that we have, pastor, comes from the Greek word poimen, the noun poimen. It's a, uh, a noun that's used to describe shepherds. Uh, a shepherd is what a poimen is, okay? So when we see that noun form in a verbal form, it's the verb poimino, to, to shepherd. Like, I'm, I'm going to do the act of shepherding, okay? Now, with that kind of context of that word, take a look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. We're also going to see this in our text today. I'm coming back to 1 Peter, but I want to take a tour and just kind of prove this point. In Acts 20, 28, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. There's that episkopos word. And then he says, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. To to pastor the church of God. He is talking to elders, and he says, God has appointed you overseers, and he says, pastor the church. You see that interchangeability. I'm trying to just show that this is what it means. So, one function of the role of elder overseer in the church is to shepherd the church of God. We see that explicitly as we come home to our text today. Peter gives an exhortation to fellow elders, and it is my exhortation to all of the elders, especially you two incoming elders today. Brothers, you are to pastor God's flock. This is an exhortation to fellow elders. Pastor God's flock. Shepherd God's flock. Look again at the text. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. There's that term, Poimino, this is the the verbal form of shepherding. You are to shepherd God's flock among you. Now, right there in that phrase, we see something extraordinarily important. Again, I don't want to assume anything today, so let me be crystal clear. The church does not belong to the congregation. 
This church does not belong to the deacons. And this church does not belong to the elders. This church belongs to God. That's why we say, as often as we know how, around here, we are Jesus-ruled, elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally accountable. And we mean every word. Shepherd God's flock among you. So with that crystal clear understanding that this flock belongs to God, Alex, David, brother elders, our mission is the maturity of God's flock called Leonardtown Baptist Church. The goal of our shepherding is to see the sheep transformed into the image of the good shepherd. And here at Leonardtown Baptist, that means leading them toward the cross-shaped life. Seek, study, serve, and share. A fully transformed life that brings honor and glory to the good shepherd. Do not forget the mission. Let me give you four ways that you can pastor well as you pursue this mission. Number one, love the sheep. Love the sheep. The old saying is true. Listen, people don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. As we pastor, we need to love the sheep and love them well. One of the qualifications for an elder is that they are hospitable, that they would open up their homes, be friendly, uh, serve and love people. Get in and among the sheep. Do it so much that you begin to smell like the sheep. Do you smell the smell today when they're all together? Smell like that. Be with the sheep so much that you begin to smell like them. But don't just love the 99 out of 100 and forget about the one. Be willing to lovingly track down the sheep that wander. Sheep will do that, you know. They'll wander. Jeremy Rennie lists five species of straying sheep in a book that he titles I want to summarize it like this for you. There are the sheep who stray into sin. And my encouragement to you is have the courage to lovingly confront their sin. There are sheep that stray by wandering away from the flock. And the encouragement to you is have compassion to stir them up as Hebrews says, to love and good works by reminding them not to neglect meeting together in this assembly on the Lord's day. When sheep stray because they are limping or injured, mobilize this body of believers to minister to the needs of our fellow sheep. Let's bandage their wounds and give salve and ointment to their sores. When sheep stray, Because they are fighting, get Pauline on those sheep. Entreat the Iodias and the Syntyches to agree in the Lord. And when the sheep stray by biting at you, which sheep will also do, which of course is of no advantage to the sheep to do, call on your fellow elders to assist. Ask the Lord to help sustain your love for the sheep, even when they bite you. 
Don't be defensive or bite back. Rely on the good shepherd and your fellow elders to help serve that sheep. Rennie continues, quote, Tracking down stray members in these situations is probably one of the most difficult, least glamorous parts of being an elder. You get kudos and respect from the church when you teach a class, preach a sermon. You experience deep satisfaction from praying for members and an exhilaration when you're a part of an elder team that makes some sort of historic leadership decision. But what are the personal benefits from confronting an adulterer or sticking your nose in a long-standing squabble? Who really wants to sit down and to an angry couple detail all the ways they believe you and the church have wronged them? Don't we all have too much drama in our lives already? Why jump into somebody else's mire? And here is one reason, he says. Elders profoundly embody the gospel when they search out wandering members. Keeping watch and tracking down strays is a Christ-like activity. The good shepherd came into this world to seek and save the lost. The Lamb of God came to die for unrepentant and sinning sheep like us. The great physician came to bind up our limping limping sheep like us, sick and broken by sin. The Prince of Peace waded into our war-torn world, ripped apart by rivalries and divisions beyond number. And when we hurled insults at him, struck him and pierced him, the Bible says, like a lamb led to slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't have to come. He didn't have to insert himself into this world, but he did. And when elders take the initiative, even though it costs them, they exemplify the very gospel that they preach. So, brother elders, love the sheep like Jesus loved you, and you will never go wrong. But secondly, Good pastors, good shepherds feed the sheep. They feed the sheep. On our mission toward the maturity of the sheep, feed them with the word of God. Don't forget what the Lord told Peter, who wrote this epistle. Remember on the shore, as he restored him, he said, Peter, do you love me? John 21, 15. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, I love you. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. A good shepherd makes sure his flock is well fed. Thirdly, you should lead the sheep. Lead the sheep. Verse 2 says, to shepherd the flock among, among you, and I'm going to argue it's by exercising. Uh, there's a Greek word, episkopos, that same word showing up again. You are to lead the sheep toward maturity. Do so, later it says, by setting an example. I'll have more to say on this in a minute, so let me suffice it to say for now, character was a major component of what qualified you to be an elder to begin with. So you cannot lead sheep to places where you yourself have not gone. Lead by example in character. Fourth and finally, if you're going to pastor well, you'll protect the sheep. Part of the job of a shepherd is to look after and to care for and to protect sheep. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says that an elder 
must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Do you see the twofold approach? Give instruction in what is true and rebuke those who would contradict the truth. Now, I know that Alex, both you and David, are both very good soccer coaches. No soccer team would be equipped with only strikers, with only offense. I'm not a soccer coach, so I hope I called them the right thing there. The, the people that kick the ball into the goal. You can't just have offense in soccer. You have to have a good offense and a good defense. And let's not forget that in our role as shepherds, that part of our role is to protect the sheep. Now, if any of you know somebody who works in banking, you know that the the saying is true. The best way to know a counterfeit is to know the what? The real thing. So my exhortation to you is stay in the word. Stay close to the chief shepherd. Be constantly growing in your understanding of the scriptures and do so in a way that you know the real thing such that when you smell the error coming, you can rebuke it and confront it and bring those sheep back into the truth. So shepherd God's flock, shepherd God's flock, pastor well. Then Peter reminds us that as we pastor, we are to have a mindset of accountability and oversight. Look again at the text in verse 2 and 3. I want you to follow on the screen uh, because a more literal translation like the New American Standard will help you see that the verb for exercising oversight, remember that's coming from the word episkopos, it's in the participial form, it's, a, it's an action here, is the manner in which you are to shepherd. And it's further explained by the three contrasts that follow. So he says, do this, shepherd God's flock. How? Exercising oversight. What does that look like? Well, not because you were compelled to this role, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Don't do it for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In verse 3, don't do it lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples for them. So let's kind of explain all this and try and wrap our minds around it. Today, as you take notes and you remember this message, brother elders, I want you to remember that the operating mindset of a faithful elder shepherd is one of accountability for God's flock. Accountability for God's flock. Again, the sheep don't belong to you, but the chief shepherd has placed these sheep under your oversight. I keep coming back to that word overseeing. Uh, The Greek dictionary would define it as accepting responsibility for the care of someone. Accepting responsibility for the care of someone to oversee or to care for. And I just stand here before you with an exasperating breath and say, this is weighty. This is a weighty responsibility. It's serious stuff. Hebrews 13 reminds us that you and I will give an account, a reckoning for the sheep. It's also incidentally why the elders care so deeply about meaningful membership, about who is a member of this church and who is not. Because we believe with our whole heart that there are specific sheep for whom we are accountable. Jesus said, I know my sheep by name. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
there is an understanding of who, for whom, we are accountable. We are to oversee. But notice that Peter says our attitude must not be as though we were dragged into this role, kicking and screaming. To the contrary, men, you are to be a willing overseer. Be a willing overseer. Do you remember, Alex, David, the first question that Brother Mark Dooley asked when you all sat down with the elders? It's kind of like the only question he tends to ask in the ordination council, and it's this. Something to the effect of, I just have one question for you. Do you have in your own heart a desire to be an elder? Do you desire to be an elder? In other words, can you describe to me why you want to serve as an elder? And then he explained, you know, that Scripture says in 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So he asked that question. I think, Alex, you said something like, you couldn't pay me enough to, <laughs> in the world to want to do that. To which we all said, well, what if we didn't pay you at all? And then you said, oh, okay, now you're talking. I could want to do that. I am totally kidding. That is not what happened. And uh, apparently in a really serious message, you're not ready for a joke. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> the reality is Alex never said that. These men both affirmed, in fact, a desire to serve Jesus in this capacity. Listen, an elder is not a have-to role. It's not like, well, you're, you got the short straw. I guess it's you. This is not a have-to role. It's a get-to role. It's a want-to thing. And without that, I'm afraid you will find 1,001 reasons to lay down the task of eldering, shepherding. You must be willing and secondly, you must be an eager overseer. It's like Peter's trying to hammer something home here. Willing, eager. Peter says, you're not to, to exercise oversight for shameful gain. And then he pairs that with being eager. Now again, men, let me be clear to you today. We can't pay you. <laughs> okay, This is a lay elder position. You might be thinking, well, okay then, check. I'm not doing this for, for greed. I'm not doing this for shameful gain. But I think that the New Living Translation also captures an essence, a nuance to this quite well. So here's the 1 Peter 5.2 in the New Living Translation. It says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. That was the first thing. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve. You see the a little nuance there. It's not because we're going to pay you so much money, but there are ways that you could use the office to your own advantage, and that is what Peter is saying. Don't do that. Don't elder for what you can get out of it, what we can get out of it, but out of a heart that is eager to serve God. I was sitting in uh, Brother Adam's uh, Sunday school today, and he was talking about a willingness and eagerness to serve wholeheartedly. This is the attitude that an elder must have. Gentlemen, I believe you are both eager servants. So let me encourage you. A year, two years, five years, two decades from now, if the Lord tarries and you are still serving here as an elder, remember this message 
And remember to keep an eager spirit to serve God and not yourself. I think there will come temptations to abdicate your duties because you've been in the middle of one too many sheep fights or had one too many sheep bites. But remember who you are serving and be eager to discharge the duties of an overseer as you shepherd. Be eager to teach, to preach, to pray, to lead, to feed, to protect. Do it eagerly. And then thirdly, Peter says, don't oversee in a domineering way, but be an exemplary overseer. Be an exemplary overseer. Oversee by example. No, you are not perfect, but you are a pattern. You are a type. That word example in the Greek is the word from which we get our word type. You are the type of husband, father, friend, church member, leader that we can all point to and say, pattern your life after that guy as he follows after Jesus. That's what this means, to lead by an example. And then Peter tells us in verse 4, there's a reward for faithfulness as a shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the reward for faithful elders, the unfading crown of glory. Tom Schreiner writes in his commentary, quote, Peter did not call on leaders to sacrifice with no thought of a reward. He reminded them that their labor for others will have a great reward with remarkable joy. Jesus, of course, is our chief shepherd in this verse, and it reminds us yet again that we are merely under shepherds, servants, and not dictators. We are under authority ourselves. The account for which we will give is to the chief shepherd when he appears. When he appears. He is coming back. I don't know if I've said it to you, church, lately, but I say, come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. But when he comes, this text says that you, brothers, will receive a crown of glory. It's a picture of the Greco-Roman world where after an athletic victory or a military conquest, a wreath crown would be placed on the heads of the victors. But note that unlike those crowns, these crowns will never fade. They are everlasting. And we will receive a special reward for faithfulness in service to King Jesus. So whenever your willing and eager tank is running on empty, come back to 1 Peter 5, 4 and fill up on the promise of reward. Now in verse 5, we have a little work to do to try and understand exactly what Peter is getting at when he uses the phrase, you who are younger. He says, likewise, or in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now the words at the beginning of that verse, in the same way, give a connection, a close connection to the previous verses for which Peter is clearly addressing those in the office of elder. And this has led some commentators to believe that the phrase, you who are younger, is serving as a substitute or a fill-in for anyone who's not an elder. 
That's what some have said it might say. Now, one of the qualifications for first Timothy, uh, in First Timothy three six is that an elder, an elder, an overseer, must not be a new convert. Often tends to mean that elders are well older. With that in mind, some of you might be thinking that David and I may need to go back in the oven and bake a little longer. (laughs) But between uh, David and I, uh, we have over 56 years of faithfully following Jesus between the two of us. Remember that all of us who are in Christ have been born again. We are a new creation, and I believe that that new birth clock might be in Peter's reckoning of age here, this reckoning of younger. It's why the Apostle John called everyone he wrote to in his letters little children, because by the time he was writing those letters, he was like ancient in the new birth years, right? He was writing to those who were comparatively in Christ younger than he But I want to assume for the sake of argument that Peter wasn't talking necessarily about spiritual age. In that case, it's more likely that when he says you who are younger, he was thinking of youthful people in the church. Peter Davids writes in his commentary, if Jewish reckoning was involved, anyone under 30, and perhaps even some who are a little older, would have been included in that category. Such younger people are often but not necessarily junior leaders, ready to learn from and assist those who direct the church. But their very readiness for service and commitment can make them impatient with leaders who either due to pastoral wisdom or the conservatism that often, but not always, comes with age, they're not ready to move as quickly or as radically as the young guys are. And so this admonition to be subject to the elders would have been quite fitting. So as I read these two sides of the coin, I was really torn and spent a great deal of thought on how to phrase the next point in my outline. In light of the ambiguity of the Greek word that underscores that word younger, it can mean younger, it can mean newer. And so I humbly submit this exhortation as my best effort to encapsulate exactly what Peter's saying here, and I'm going to then try and maximize its applicability later. All right, that's the very long setup. Here is your point in your outline. Verse 5 is at the very least an exhortation to those with a propensity to spurn authority. Those who have a propensity to spurn authority. And the exhortation is, submit to the elders. Be subject to the elders. Again, The least common denominator in what Peter is saying is that younger, newer believers, we can acknowledge that often corresponds with youthful age, those folks tend towards spurning the good gift of God given authority. He wants those to submit to the elders. So, young person, young people, if you're here, and you're under age 30. I said young person. I saw a lot of young faces look up. Some of you did not fit that category. (laughs) (laughs) Young people, those of you under 30, hear me clearly. The elders are accountable for your souls. And it is a good thing to listen 
to them. Think about it. How many of you young people are already going through life thinking, man, I could just really use a handler. I could use somebody who like helps me decide to put my video games away and actually study for my test. Or I really regret the way that I spoke. Like I have this grief in my heart that I just spoke rashly and I wish somebody was right there and just put a sock in my mouth when I went and said that thing I didn't want to say. Someone to sit beside me in my driver's seat while I'm smack my hand when I go to text and drive. Or maybe somebody who would take the bag of peanut M&Ms and zip it up and hand me a carrot stick and a bottle of water instead. All right, this is getting a little too personal. (laughs) Yeah, my family knows I need a handler on that. The point of this is that with smaller matters, smaller decisions, we know That having somebody who would be there to look out for our best interests would be a real gift. Well, I may not like it when I get handed a carrot stick and a bottle of water, but consistently, if somebody would do that for me, I would be happy with the results. Now, young people, hear me clearly. The elders are not going to be your handlers. They're not going to be there for every single decision you make in your life. But if they ever sit you down and say, brother, sister, I think you need to watch out for this area of sin in your life. Or they say, you know, I'd really think twice about heading down that path because I've seen so many wander that direction and it didn't end well. Or have you considered what the scripture says about this decision you're making? You need to listen Peter says, submit, be subject to them. Let the rod and the staff of an under-shepherd comfort you as the Lord uses these men to gently correct and bring you back into the flock before you fall off a cliff or get ravaged by wolves. Now, I chose this wording carefully so I could expand this point beyond those who are under age 30 in the room. Because there are a number of you who aren't necessarily younger in age, but you are newer to the faith and could also fall under Peter's younger slash newer category. You may have a propensity to kick against the goads, so to speak. You may think because of your relative spiritual immaturity, look, I'm 50 years old. I don't need someone coming and telling me how to live my life. Be careful with that kind of thinking. Again, the kind of authority figure that elders are supposed to be is a gift to you. Submission to their wisdom and oversight could keep you from a train wreck in your life, your marriage, or even from shipwrecking your faith. So I wanted to expand that ring from the younger in the sense of age to the younger in the sense of newness or even immaturity in the faith. And now I'm going to extend the ring one more time and ask the question, don't we all have a propensity to spurn authority? At least in our flesh, we do. That is the nature of the fall. Now, to be clear, 
I don't think Peter is addressing everyone yet. I think that happens when he says, all of you. Okay? So I'm going to the larger canon of Scripture for clarity to support this widest ring that hits all of us in this room. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Congregation, submit to these men. Let their service to God for the sake of your souls, be a joy to them. Now, I'm not directing you to do this. I believe God's word is. So submit, huh? Yeah, submit. It takes humility, which is why Peter says in the end of verse 5, all of you Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here it is quite clear. All of you means all y'all. All of you. Young people, newer to the faith, congregation at large, elders, all of you, all of us, must clothe ourselves with humility. So the mindset, fifth and finally, we all must have is humility toward one another. Humility toward one another. God resists pride, but gives grace to the humble. One author put this very eloquently when he said, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. That bears repeating. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Alex, David, never forget that you are who you are, and you are where you are by the grace of God. Paul never forgot that. He didn't forget that it was the grace of God that gave him authority to instruct and teach the various churches including the church at Rome. He said in his letter to them, It's by the grace of God given to me that I say to everyone among you. You see Paul's humility? I don't have the right to say this to you in my own strength. It's by the grace given to me, Romans 12, 3, that I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ Jesus, and individually members one of another. And he goes on to say that the various gifts we have been given, like exhortation, like teaching, like generosity, all of these gifts are grace gifts given by God, and we ought to use them to serve him and love one another. So in summary, as I close today, 
the very best and the most concise advice I can give you two men is the advice that has been given to me in the past. Stay humble. Smell like the sheep. And stay close to the chief shepherd. Brothers, I'd like to invite you to come to the platform with me. We're going to enter into a time of solemn dedication of ourselves to the Lord by asking uh, that you two make public commitments in the presence of this congregation of your faith and of your commitment to discharge the duties of this office with God's help. And congregation, I'm also going to be asking you to make commitments to publicly receive these men to the office and pray for them as they discharge their duties. So, Pastor Allen, can I use your microphone? You guys can just share this between you as you answer. All right, brothers. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior? If yes, say, I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? If yes, say, I do. Do you, brothers, sincerely believe the Baptist faith and message to and the covenant of this church, the truth taught in Holy Scripture? Say, I do. Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 or our church covenant, you will on your own initiative make known to the other elders the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow? Say, I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Leonardtown Baptist Church? Say, I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord. On this one, I ask you to say, I do with God's help. Have you been induced, as far as you know, in your own heart to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? If yes, please answer with Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? If yes, please answer with, I do with God's help. And will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life? and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? If yes, please answer with, I will by the grace of God. And are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder, to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Leonardtown Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. If yes, please answer with, I am with the help of God. 
congregation, I'd like to invite you to stand. And as you feel with 100% good conscience to answer, I ask you, do you, the members of Leonardtown Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive these men as gifts of Christ to this church? If yes, please say, we do. And will you love them and pray for them in their ministry and work together with them humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God, you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership to which the Lord has called them to the glory and the honor of God. And if the answer is yes, please say, we will by the grace of God.